life of Jesus, particularly. And so we talk about Jesus' life. Uh, with Jesus' life, we have to look at the time period that he, that he lived in and the people he was dealing with and the, the Essenes who were out in the, out in the wilderness Waiting and waiting for something to happen, and we were talking about Sadducees who were compromising with Rome, and yeah, keep on going. Compromising with Rome and trying to make the best they could out of that situation. You had zealots who were fighting against or trying to bring the kingdom to the earth right now, and the final group we talked about were the, the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were trying to basically bring about God's good kingdom on the earth by following the rules and the laws so perfectly that God would send his Messiah and save them. And so if they followed the law, the Torah, to the perfect extent, then God would save them, you know. And the reason why they had failed, the reason why their country had been destroyed was because they did not follow the Torah strongly enough. And that was what set up their conflict with Jesus. So you can keep on going. That's the Pharisees, the next one. Okay, so you probably can't read this, but what I wanted to do today is and for the next coming weeks was focused on the Gospel of Matthew. And so with the Gospel of Matthew, like everyone knows, what does the Gospel of Matthew try to present Jesus as? The king, the king right? He, and, and it fits with the theme, right, of Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the son of David. And so Matthew is showing that Jesus is the king, the coming king. And so that's kind of his, his focus. And we, talk, we can talk about all the different fulfillments of Old Testament prophecy, right? So if you read Matthew, when you start off those first couple of chapters, Matthew does this thing where he's constantly going back to the prophets, right? He's always going back to prophets. What did the prophets say that Jesus was supposed to do? This is how Jesus is fulfilling the prophecy. So we talked about, or Matthew is talking about uh, Isaiah. In, in Isaiah, it, there's a verse that says the virgin will give birth to a child. And so that predicts that Jesus will be the born of a virgin. And then Micah chapter 5 verse 2 talks about Jesus being born in Bethlehem. And there's another verse in that I like. It says, so he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt. Why did he leave for Egypt? Anyone know? To escape Herod, right? But, but Matthew says, well, he didn't just leave Egypt to escape from Herod, but he also did it as a fulfillment of prophecy, right? Because in prophecy, it says, so it was fulfilled that the Lord said through the prophet, out of Egypt, I called my son. So we go from that's basically Matthew chapter 2, and I'm just kind of rush, going fast because I want to focus on um, his speeches, but John the Baptist prepares the way in G John chapter, no, Matthew chapter 3, John gives a proclamation, right? And this, he is, this is a number of years later, around AD 27, John is up there preaching, the kingdom of he heaven is at near. Re uh, repent and be baptized. And he baptizes who? Jesus, right? So Jesus is baptized at the Jordan, and he's there. Immediately, he goes and is tempted in the wilderness, strangely, right? Doesn't go and start his ministry. He goes and he's tempted in the wilderness, and then he starts to heal the sick, and he starts to preach the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is coming. So if we can go to the next one. This is all just kind of setting up. 
There are five speeches in Matthew, um, Sermon on the Mount, Missionary Discourse, about parables on the church and the end times. Jesus' first speech in Matthew is the Sermon on the Mount. Maybe the most famous speech of all time? I would say so, yes. The Sermon on the Mount. And what do you think of when you think of the Sermon on the Mount? What's the first thing that comes to anyone's mind? Sermon on the Mount. What do you think? Blessed, right? Blessed. So, go to the next one, Vijay. Sermon and yeah, we'll we'll talk about this. Before we get there, I was I was looking at and Josiah brought this up one time in a speech. Who knows what moralistic therapeutic deism is? What is it, Josiah? It's a moral-based huh? religion. It's a moral-based religion? What did you understand it to be? Uh, people saying that what makes you feel good is good. Right, yeah, right. And, and it has basically five points, mm -hmm. right? That God exists, he created the world and watches over human life. God wants us to be good and be fair to each other. Um, it's taught in the Bible, the world religions. What's the central <coughs> goal of life? Central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about yourself. And God isn't particularly involved in your life, except when you need him to solve your problems, right? And good people will go to heaven when they die. It's the basic philosophy. What does that sound like? Kind of the average Christianity that you might see in America, right? It's this kind of, oh, if you're good, you go to heaven. God is basically doing his own thing. We can do our own thing. You should be good. You shouldn't be bad. Right? And it's basically that is the sometimes what religion comes out to be in, in America. And if you go to the next one, but we have the Beatitudes. So what is Beatitudes? What is it saying? What, what does a beatitude mean? Okay. So, what does being blessed mean to you, to you guys? What does it mean to be blessed? What do you think, Steve? What would being blessed If I say, I am blessed. To be blessed. Yeah. To be blessed or blessed. What is the correct pronunciation? Who knows? But, it, but what does it mean to be blessed? Um, to have God's favor and power. To okay. But how, how does that come out in your life? How does that appear in your life? I'm blessed. Tornado came and destroyed every house on the block except mine. I'm blessed. Joy. Is it joy? Having peace. Peace. Having joy. Being happy. Why don't we read what Jesus said? You guys have the get your Bible, Matthew chapter five. Matthew chapter five, verse one to two. We probably aren't going to get very far, but this seeing the crowds, he went on the mountain. And when he sat down, the disciples came to him, and he opened his, opened his mouth and taught them, saying, "Blessed are the poor in spirit, for there is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek." For they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And, and, and so you've got, you think about this crowd of people. Jesus is up there on the mountaintop. He's got his drums and his guitar set. The worship team just, no, they probably didn't have So they didn't, they didn't have a mic. Why did he even go on the top of a mountain? Probably because people wouldn't hear him. Yeah, it probably was better on, on top of the mountain. And what is his audience? Audience, a bunch of... Huh? 
bunch of Palestinian Jews, right? A bunch of Middle Eastern people who were tired, hardworking, dealing with a country they weren't in control of, right? A country and controlled, controlled by a Roman Empire that was far away. And being told by religious people they needed to be more religious, being told that the end was coming, and they see this guy who's been, at this point, had been healing people, had been doing some things, had just started his ministry, and they say, well, there's this new person who is healing people, there's this new person who is having this message about the kingdom of heaven is near, let's go hear what he has to say. Right? So they're all there, hearing what he has to say, probably it was hot and sweaty, and he's up there on the top of the mountain, the first thing he says, so we have to take very deep attention when this person says a speech, the first thing they say and the last thing they say is usually important, right, see? Right? Because that's the thing that people remember, right? They remember the first, usually the first thing you say and the last thing you say, the, the middle gets all kind of <laughs> mixed up sometimes, but the beginning and the end, so he, he starts off with, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Isn't that strange? Don't you? What does it mean to be poor in spirit? Downcast. Downcast? Depressed. Depressed? depressed? I don't know. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? You can't read it off your slide. Priscilla, what do you think poor in spirit means? No? Poor in spirit. When they're always down. They're always down. Not sure of themselves, maybe? Lacking in confidence a little bit? What kind of people is he talking to? Is he talking to a victorious crowd of people who succeeded in everything? No, right? They're talking to a people whose kingdom has been destroyed, whose kings have all been defeated, right? So he's talking to a people who might feel poor in spirit, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of He's, a, he's making an announcement, a proclamation. He's not saying, you know, sometimes we get the, the attitudes all mixed up because we, we, we think that, well, Jesus is giving you a how-to protocol to be blessed. So to be blessed, you must be poor in spirit. No, not quite. What he's saying is, he's making an announcement. He's making an end times announcement, you could argue. He's making an announcement that blessed right now are those... <laughs> who are poor in spirit. <coughs> Even though uh, the, the discussion we usually get is, what do you need to be successful? You need to believe in yourself. You need to believe that you're confident and you're, you're, you're in charge of your destiny. Blessed, blessed are those who are believe in themselves. No. said, so blessed is the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. For they will inherit the earth. Does the meek inherit the earth? Does the meek inherit the earth, someone? When did the meek inherit the earth? Jesus said they did. But do we see that? Because Jesus is very, very subversive to the reality of the situation people are living, right? The meek will inherit the earth. What is meek? What does it mean to be meek? Humble. Humble. Poor in spirit. You know? Not believing that you're in charge of the world. But don't the arrogant win? Don't the arrogant buy their kids into college, as we've seen? Like if I can hire the right coach and give them enough money, they'll get my kid into Harvard? Don't those people inherit the earth? Um, think about the state of blessedness. Those are the blessed. Blessed are the meek. For they will inherit the earth. And then he says, Blessed are the peacemakers. Which is very interesting, right? Because how some of those guys in the crowd, Jesus might be the next Messiah. How many of them came armed with their swords? Ready. Okay, he's going to be the general. He's going to get us to start this war against Rome. We're going to take back. And then Jesus comes up and says, Blessed are the peacemakers. They're like, oh, let's put the sword away. This guy is not our guy, right? 
Everyone is looking, is Jesus our guy? Is Jesus our, is he a Pharisee like us? Is he a Sadducee like us? Is he a zealot like us? And then Jesus is like, you need to listen to my speech. <laughs> Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of the God. Children of God. But, you know, in, the, in that time period, what type of people win? They're seeing the Roman soldiers murdering people every day. The, those who are violent seem to be conquering and winning. So what is Jesus saying when he's saying, blessed are the peacemakers? They'll be called the children of God. So, finally he says, then he, he, he talks about, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Right? So this is difficult topic for us to deal with because so <coughs> blessed are you when you're insulted when you're persecuted how, how am I blessed when I'm insulted how am I blessed when I'm mistreated Huh? I don't know, right? See, this is the thing, right? I, I, and this is why I harp on this, because it's like we look at Jesus and say, oh, Jesus died for me, and that's why I'm going to heaven. And that's all that Jesus matters. And we like, what about what Jesus said? What about what Jesus did? Do we care about that? No, just Jesus died for me, and I'm going to heaven. That's all that matters, Sajid. Stop talking about all this other stuff, right? No, Jesus didn't just... Jesus died and rose again. That's why we're going to heaven, praise God. But Jesus did and said a lot of things before. Right? And all of that was part of the redemption. It's not like the cross is obviously the most important, the central aspect of what Jesus did, but everything was part of the cross. Right? And so he's saying, blessed are those who are insulted and persecuted for Christ because he as the master, he was what? Crucified. So what should happen to his disciples? So if we are persecuted and insulted like Jesus was, then we are following in our master's footsteps. But are we? Right. We can't even get up in the morning. <laughs> right? We can't even get up in the morning on time. But he's making an announcement. He's not saying, oh, you need to be insulted. You know, it's like, Oh, don't walk into the street and say, please insult me. No, that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, blessed are you when you are insulted, when you are persecuted, when you are mistreated, because your reward is in heaven. It's not on this earth. That's even more interesting. That's also disappointing to a lot of people <coughs> in the crowd. What does he mean, not on this earth? What? What are we looking for with Jesus? What is Jesus going to give us on earth? Is he going to give us anything on earth? Is it all in heaven? What do you think? Does Jesus give us any results here on earth? He gives us peace. He gives us mercy. He gives us grace. Jesus is building his kingdom on earth. We who are blessed are the kingdom people. And as kingdom people, we are building his kingdom here. That blessedness that we're dealing with, the insults that we're dealing with, the, the persecution we go through, all of that reflects the fact that we are ultimately building his kingdom. That's why he says in verse 12, what does it say? 5 verse 12. <coughs> Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Yeah. Persecuted were the prophets before you. Rejoice and be glad. But then, if you aren't being insulted, if you aren't being persecuted, if your life is easy and comfortable, what does Jesus have to say to you? Right? Because in Luke it says, blessed are the poor 
for you will be rich, blessed are the hungry, for you'll be well, um, you will be fed. And if we are comfortable, then what's the other side, right? It doesn't mean that we're not blessed if we are not insulted, you know? Are we not blessed if the other side of that is true? We have to think about it, right? Like, where where is the popularity in this world, and where what where are we finding that? Are we finding popularity in this world? Is that what's most important to us? Is our measure of success how popular I am with the crowd or with the people or anyone else around me? Is that how I measure my success? Then Jesus is saying, should conflict con conflict with that and say, hmm. Maybe I'm not as blessed as I think I am. Maybe I'm not bl as blessed as Jesus thinks I should be. Right? The, the Beatitudes, the state of blessedness. Jesus wants to provide us with a state of blessedness, but it's not how we might have defined it when we started off this conversation. Right? And it's not what the crowd was, was hoping for, maybe, when Jesus started his speech. So let's go to the next one, and we'll think about that as we go forward. So, what about the next thing, which is verse 13 and 14. Solani, why don't you read? Verse 13 and 14? Yeah. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under foot by men. You are the light of the world, a city set that cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone, uh, anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Right. And so, another group of people, the zealots were bad at the Beatitudes, the Essenes are mad about this one, right? Because the Essenes are going out in the wilderness praying and, and not, not, not really impacting the world. And Jesus is saying, I, that's not my program either. He's saying, what do you need to be? You need to be salt and light. And we've heard this story since we were small. What is salt? It's bad for you if you have hypertension. No. Why is Jesus saying that we need to be salt? You've heard this before. Like, what, what is it? Salt? It has flavor. It has flavor? Is that what it is? Uh, this is probably a tangent. They, he thought they had refrigerators. What? I, 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 words into my mouth? In the Lord's house? Could you? Okay, they, so they didn't have refrigerators back then, right? Yeah, I guess. They didn't guess. <laughs> but what is that? What is Jesus saying then? What does he mean by that then? That we are preservatives? Or what, how do we... What do you think then? Perishing. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. The, world, the world is perishing. The whole world <laughs> is perishing. Because of sin and, and failures. But we are needed to be the salt to preserve the world. And it's like, you know how in a quiz, and it, in a Bible quiz, some, some kids who don't know anything about the Bible, what do they say when you ask a question? Oh, what's, wh who was this person's father? And that person will say, Jesus. And like, who is that person's son? Jesus, and, and then, you know, because they think, like, if, this is a Bible quiz, so, like, half the answers to all of these questions would be just Jesus, right? So, but in this Sunday School class, making it really easy for you guys, what have we been talking about lately? Jesus. Jesus, okay. <laughs> that's, that's what we've been talking about, is Jesus. Um, the life and times of Jesus, Jesus' backstory the political situation. <coughs> but mainly I was just talking about things Jesus said and did. <coughs> More than focusing on baby Jesus. Although everyone loves baby Jesus. I wanted to talk about things Jesus said and did. 
But before, right before we get there, uh, if you can go to Isaiah, anyone, Isaiah chapter 11. And this will kind of set the tone for a lot of, I think, what Jesus is talking about. Isaiah chapter 11, uh, we'll start with verse 1 and then we'll skip around. Isaiah 11 verse 1. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Who is Jesse? Sam? David. <laughs> it's father of David, right? Jesse is father of David, and Jesus is the son of David. So when we say the stem of Jesse, we're talking about Messiah here. That's usually a sign, especially when you're reading prophetical stuff. And they talk about a stem of Jesse, or something out of the branch of Jesse, or a son of David. We're, we're talking about Messiah. And Messiah is another word ready for? For the anointed one, which is uh, the Hebrew word, the Greek translation of is? The Greek translation of Messiah is, Salani? Is Christ, which is why we are called? Christians. I have to say that. I'm going to continue. Someday it's going to stick. Alright? So, we are called Christians because Christians believe in the Messiah, which is the Hebrew word for anointed one. Jesus is the anointed one. Jesus is the son of Jesse. So, we're talking about the messianic reign. When the Messiah takes over, what's going to happen? And he says, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And what will happen... Verse 6, very profound. What does verse 6 say? And the wolf will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down. The wolf will live with the lamb. Has that, that ever happened? So some people in their backyards want to have chicken coops. For some reason. And, and if you have a chicken coop in Texas, or whatever... What's likely going to happen if you don't protect your chickens? The coyotes. The coyotes. They're going to come and eat your chickens. And in this, Isaiah is talking to a pastoral community. Pastoral meaning what? Pastors? No. <coughs> pastoral community meaning shepherds and sheep. And what is the number one concern of a shepherd for his sheep? What's the number one concern for a shepherd? Take care of the sheep, right? But what is he worried about? The, the, the wolves, right? And so, what does he say here? The wolf will live with the lamb. Okay, keep on going. No, don't get a chicken coop, is he? Go, keep on going. And the leopard will lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion, and the fatling together. So the so it's almost like a Winnie the Pooh group. You've got your tiger, and you've got your lion, and you've got your sheep, you've got your wolf. And this group of animals, it doesn't say baby cubs, not cute, cuddly, cuddly creatures. These are scary animals. What, what? Go ahead, Sam. What did you say? No, it's not like it. What is going on ahead of them? Some burly, strong, giant of a man who is taking all of these wild animals? Who is, who is leading them? Who is leading them? A little boy. A little boy? What? <laughs> a little boy is leading. So you think about this cute, cute postage Hallmark movie. Little boy, two-year-old. Or even Selah. It doesn't have to be a little boy. Four-year-old walking by. Sorry. Four-year-old walking by. And lion is behind him. Her wolf is behind her. Sheep is behind her, and they're just walking, having a good time. How is it possible? Is it possible? No. Only in Disney movies? No. Right? How is it possible? How is it possible, son? What happened to these animals? These are wild animals. What happened to the animals? They will eat them. They will eat them? Well, that's a very scary story. Why would, uh, why would Isaiah talk about this? Why is Isaiah prophesying this? Why is he prophesying this? 
Why is he prophesying? Woo, you're here to learn. Awesome. Why is he prophesying this? Why would I say, is he, is he having problems? Why would anyone prophesy such a thing? What is the messianic age supposed to be? Right? Messianic age. There's going to be an age where wolves don't act like wolves anymore. And lions don't act like lions anymore. And sheep are not afraid of wolves. How many of you guys are afraid of lions and wolves and tigers? Not too many, right? Because they're usually intense. But how many know that human beings sometimes can act like lions and wolves and tigers and all these horrible things? Obviously, if it's not hitting you over the head, Isaiah is talking in a metaphor. <laughs> There's a metaphor here. The metaphor is that in the messianic age, when the Messiah is in charge, the lion, the sheep, the lamb has nothing, and the little child has nothing to fear from the sheep and the bear and the lion. In that new age. And in that new time, these animals. These wild, vengeful, angry, horrible, scary beasts will have transformed into something else, right? There's a, there's a massive change that is coming about. And we can say that that's kind of like the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus is announcing this coming kingdom that is here with his coming and not yet here which is kind of always the tension that every Christian is living in. Every Christian is living with the tension of the kingdom is here, but it's not here yet, right? Jesus has the victory, but the victory isn't at least complete yet. If I go into a lion's den today, if I go into the zoo and I open the door, and the person says, why are you, going, why are you doing that? And I quote to them Isaiah chapter 11, it's not going to end well for me. Right? Probably not. But, let's fast forward to Matthew. So we go to Matthew and we listen to Jesus' message. With that in mind, so Jesus is looking towards a future where these things can start to become possible. So keep that in your mind as we're, uh, as a kind of a interpretation key to what Jesus is talking about, right? This kingdom that Jesus is looking forward is like no other kingdom the world has ever seen. That's why when the zealots are coming and saying, Jesus, we're going to start this revolution and violently come and kill the Romans, which is what the, the people want, Jesus is saying, I'm not here for your program. So let's, we were talking about the salt and the light last week. We'll, we'll go forward uh, this, this week. Let's go to verse 17. And uh, let's see, read a couple verses there. For do not think, so Steve, why don't you read verse 17? Uh, Matthew 5, 17. We're continuing the Sermon on the Mount. Do not think I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For surely I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Okay, and anyone who breaks? Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So let me ask you, uh, how many of you guys drove to church today? Everybody. I drove, but I don't remember. How many of you performed work on the Sabbath? No, no, no one performs work. Yeah. I'll prefer. So performs, performs. What, what, what is Jesus talking about here? I mean, this is a verse we all read. Many, many, many times, and probably we're confused every time we read it. 
So, what have you? How have you reconciled this verse? Jesus says he didn't come to destroy the law; he came to fulfill the law. And that anybody who doesn't follow the least of the commandments. So, do you put pepperoni on your pizza? Yes, you do. I've seen you eat them. Do you eat a pineapple pizza with a pineapple and ham on it? Of course you do. No. You put pineapple on your pizza? Of course you do. It tastes delicious. Disgusting. I don't know. I am. I disagree with anybody who doesn't. Put, hey. Horrible. Disgusting. I've I've lost the train again. How many of you, when you take an elevator, you press the button? It doesn't matter to you, right? We we talked about the Sabbath elevator. <laughs> what is Jesus saying? So what is the right answer to this question? I think the the answer we all give is well, Jesus was saying that. He was fulfilling the law. So he didn't cancel the previous laws. He fulfilled it. He took care of it. So we don't have to follow those laws anymore. And he came up with a whole bunch of new laws. <laughs> right? It's kind of how we've, we've interpreted it, right? So uh, those th laws that he created before about not eating pigs or keeping kosher or circumcision, all of those things were from the past. And we don't have to worry about that anymore because Jesus just came up with a whole bunch of new laws. And so we're just supposed to follow that. Problem solved. I think that's an, an interpretation. I don't think it's the best interpretation. And then we have to re keep on reading. But we have to, you see, Jesus is already confronting us with a question. He's saying, I am not here. A lot of you think my, my program, again, there are people there who think, oh, Jesus is one of these liberal liberal guys. He's a cool guy. He's got long hair. He's got a beard. Does he have long hair and a beard? I don't know. I don't think so. But some people think, oh, he has long hair. He has a beard. He's a nice guy. He's a very liberal person. He doesn't care about the law. And the first thing Jesus says is, what? I'm here to follow. I'm not here to take away the law. So I'm not part of that program that you think that you want me to be in. I'm doing something else. And so then he goes to um, verse 20, Steve Andrew. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll by no means enter the kingdom of God. Okay, so now he's brought up his <coughs> adversary here, his biggest <coughs> fans, his biggest fans, his biggest ones who are the Pharisees, the scribes and the Pharisees, these guys who come and tell everybody else what the rules are, what the laws are, and he's saying, that unless you are more righteous than these group of the most legalistic people on earth, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. Now I'm shaking. I have like no way of meeting this level of holiness. Like I, the things the Pharisees are doing, we talked about these things. The things the Pharisees do to make, maintain their holiness. Jesus is not saying, oh, don't worry about it, right? Those Pharisees, they are way too strict. My Jesus, he's not as strict as the Pharisees, so don't worry about it. Is that what Jesus say? No, it's the exact opposite. Are we, are we a little bit trembling? <laughs> you know, that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees, exceeds, surpasses, goes above and beyond what they are doing, how do we live that? And Jesus gives us three specific examples, or a couple of different examples. And I want to point out a couple, just the first one on murder. So what does he say, uh, chapter 5, verse 21? 5, verse 21, anyone who has it can read it. We have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, uh, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of the council. So how many people know, hey, Josiah, is it against the law, the God's law, to murder someone? Kind of fundamental. Right? That's the easy one, right? Don't kill anyone, right? And you raise again. I got that. I won't kill anyone. Uh -huh. 
Attempt to follow the law. That was, but that's one law that pretty much all of us can handle, right? Usually. Don't murder anyone. Usually. I can handle it. Can you handle that, Priscilla? Yes. <laughs> Don't kill anyone. Yeah, that's... But then Jesus takes that law and does what with it? But I say unto you, you heard that the law was don't murder anyone. But I'm saying unto you what? Whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. So Jesus is taking it. How many of you have been angry with someone? This isn't actually about if how, so you've you've only yeah. been angry with people that you've had a cause against, right? <laughs> so Saladi's right. Saladi's, you do exactly what most of us do. Well, Sanju, I've never been angry against anyone without a cause. I've always had a reason. So like, okay, you've always had a good reason. That's amazing. Like, I get angry for no good reason all the time. But you, when you get angry, Ray, you only get angry. When it's a right reason, right? I do. I can prove it. It's because I write a journal. It's your journal. How many know that you know these reasons sometimes can become self-serving? It's like you're your own best defense attorney, right? Like you're a little bit biased against yourself. How many of you can be biased, biased in your own favor? Uh, yeah, I can be biased in my own favor. Yeah, of course. I've always, every time I've been mad at someone. Every time I've lost my temper, every time I've been said something I shouldn't have said, I always did it out of a pure heart, and it was only because they were bad. Right? Well, I'm sure if the person killed your brother, that would be without a cause. So then you're saying the only time you can be angry is when someone kills your brother? Well, I'm thinking that what Jesus is saying is that this is probably something that none of us are capable of following. You see what I'm saying? It's, it's deep. Right? Our nature as human beings. Because what are we more like? The little child? Are we more like Sal uh, Selah, the little child? Or are we like... Names are too close. Are they, or are they like... Are we more like the tiger and the bear? I'll let you answer that question. You know, the tiger's personality is one. Right, I, I, I'll say this story. You, you guys have all heard of this before. What was it, the scorpion needed a ride across the river? Right? What was the, what was the animal that he needed the ride from? It was some sort of animal, sport animal. And he said, I need a ride across this river, and the guy was like, why would I do such a thing? You're just going to sting me. And the scorpion said, I, why would I do that? If I did that, I would drown. That would be ridiculous. So they went across the river. Right when he was about to cross the river, what does the scorpion do? He stings him. And while they're both drowning, he's like, why did you do that? It's in my nature. It's in my nature. Right? How many know that we're scorpions? At least a little. We've got a little bit of the tiger. We've got a little bit of the lion. We've got a little bit of the, the beast. We're not all, we like to think of ourselves. Our self-image is the little child. Walking. We're, we're all just lambs, right? We're all just lambs. Reality is, the beast is there. And Jesus is very incisive. Very sharp word. Whoever is angry with his brother, you Pharisees, you righteous people, think you are so holy because you don't murder anyone. But I'm telling you that if you are angry with someone, you're already guilty. So Jesus is taking it to a much higher level than anything. So, I mean, again, Jesus is our Lord, and we take his words very seriously. And let that kind of, and there's a, there, there is the solution, the answer to this is, this can feel like, well, how in the world am I going to ever accomplish this? The reality is we need 
Holy Spirit, the change is inside out, right? And so that's why we need the Holy Spirit to change us, to change us from the beast into the dove, right? So that, that, that is the power that God does in our life, changes our character, changes. That's what, that's what Jesus is saying. He's like, I'm not interested in you figuring out the, the best way to answer this rule book. I'm trying to change you from the inside out. That's what Jesus is looking for. So that's, that's what he's talking about with murder. We'll go quickly. The next one. The next one is a challenging one. We'll go verse 27. I'll, I'll read. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. And, and I think this works for both genders, right? And, and this is, he's talking here about lust. And this is something, and there's kids in the room, whatever. So I, I won't go too far. But I, what I'd say is this is something that goes male and female are both guilty of this. And we have to ask ourselves, what is the answer? Because I've heard pastors say before that can you face them without violence? Question. Right? And I say that's not a popular opinion among a certain generation. But what is... That's something we have, I mean, again, we get legalistic about it, we get judgmental about it, we get condemnatory about it all the time. The other people get cold towards the church because of this. But we have to ask ourselves, are we opening ourselves up to things? And we should. Does that mean it's wrong in every level and every time and every period? And there's no way to get that right. I think it'd be easier if we were had a, we had a church community who could talk about these things in a more open way. We can't. We can't do it here, obviously. But you see what I'm saying? This is a real problem in our churches and among our young people. Nobody can talk about it ever, but it's a real problem. And Jesus again is saying, again, I'm not interested in your outward statement. Oh, you will never do A, B, C, D, and E. I'm not interested in that. I care about what's deep down in your secret heart, right? What's deep inside there. You can, the things you do on the outside, those are terrible too, but that's not, that's not the root cause of your problem. The root cause of your sin is where? In your heart. Because you've lost the sense of the humanity of other people. You know, that's what that is talking about, you know, objectification of other people. Are, are you guilty of that? I don't have to ask you to raise your hand. Are you guilty of this? Because you all are. And the, the so, so, accusations. You know, I don't, I, I'm, I'm 100% confident on that. And, and the question is, we live in a society that pro, continues that, Right? And it's what it's saying is that another person is not a real person unless they are bringing you something positive, pleasure, right? You are dehumanizing other people. You're taking God's creation, God's image, right? He said, if you are all created in the image of God, your body is the temple of the living God, and you have taken the temple of the living God and the image of God, and you have made it impure. You have violated it. You have think, thought of it as something that is not beautiful and holy on its own. You have taken away the beauty and the holiness of that, and you have made it into something for your own selfish pleasure. This makes God very depressed and sad and angry. We talk about anger. This is righteous anger against us. And again, we say... But God, we're the scorpion. It's in our nature. How do we break free from it? How do we break free from it? We need God's Holy Spirit to change our hearts and minds. Right? This is the change that Jesus is coming after. He's saying it's not enough that you can check some boxes and say that you're holy because you don't do this, that, and the other. I want you to fully change your mindset 
towards the way you treat or the way you think about other people? How do we think about other people when we see them? When we see them, when we, how do we treat people? Do we treat them differently? I, you know, with every finger you point, three fingers pointed back at you, right? Right? I'm not saying anything that you guys don't know, but I'm saying we need better spaces to talk about these things. And we don't, so everything gets put in a bottle somewhere, in a secret place, and what happens when you put things in a secret place that you never look at? It festers, and it spoils, and it gets more and more rotten, right? The light would help to open this up. So, you know, maybe we need, we need more time for boys to talk to other boys about stuff, right? So, you know, that's what youth group is for, right? <laughs> Huh? Or you join groups outside with your friends, and they don't have anything good to tell you. Mm -hmm. Mm, what? You disagree no, with it? I mean, I would not take advice from any of the boys I grew up with when I was in high school or college. Because all of them were 100% wrong about everything they said. You heard that? <laughs> you heard that, Chris? They were wrong about everything. I don't know about the girls, because I wasn't talking to them. I, the boys that I talked to, the boys that I talked to, they were wrong about everything they talked about. That's all I have to say about that. I'm not going to go into any more details, but that's the truth. You agree with me, Steve? To extent, yeah, they were wrong about everything, right? They were wrong about everything. And they are wrong about it. You know why? Because they're kids. If you have a question on those issues, you're afraid to talk to your parents about it, there is Steve and me. We are here. And did you? There are a lot of older people here who you can talk to about this, right? And so they, you don't have to go and look for advice from, from your peers, because I am telling you, almost certainly they're wrong. So, <laughs> um, and that's just from experience, all right? So, but anyway, the same thing goes for, for girls, right? Like there are, there are role models here on both sides. And this is, fundamental problem with purity and a problem I feel with the secret aspect for, for, for the people of our generation, why we don't see spiritual growth, why we don't see the power of God come down like it should, is because people are holding a lot of this stuff in their back pocket. And, you know, and they don't let it out, and they realize that they're not living the life that God wants them to live, and because of that, it's, it's, like, it's like mud holding them back from what God wants them to be. God wants to set you free from this life, right? He wants to set you free from this, this muck and mire that the world is trying to put you in. So it is time.